The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's good to see you all here this morning. My name is Shelley Graff. I'm the associate director here. Um, do some regular teaching as well, especially a little more when Mark is away. So I was away on retreat this summer, earlier part of the summer, and I was reminded of this teaching that's in the suttas, or like the Buddhist scriptures, about Bahia. Do you know the story of Bahia? No. Bahia was this ascetic um, at the time of the Buddha. He was... a wise man, um, lots of people came to him for advice, he lived his life in very simple ways, people admired him and um, thought he was great, and so he started to wonder, maybe I really am great, <laughs> and he in fact wondered, well, maybe I'm even enlightened, and then in the story these spiritual beings, these dewas, came to visit him and were like, no, you're really not enlightened. <laughs> but if you're curious about what wisdom really is, you should go see the Buddha. And so he traveled 300 hours by foot, up 12,000 feet in elevation over a mountain range to see the Buddha to get the teachings. And usually the story is told with an emphasis on the ending, like the Buddha gave him the teachings um, and there was a major transformation and then he, was short, he shortly died after that. But what was striking to me about that story was not the ending as much as it was the intention to walk 300 miles by foot in Asia over 12,000 feet of elevation. That's amazing. And what it must have taken along the way for him to stop and start and recenter his intentions and remind himself of what's important. And then the kind of faith that was needed throughout that practice. I mean, imagine the depth of his spiritual aspiration. There aren't many things in my life that I could say I would walk 300 miles by feet for. Right? But that, and at the top of Bahia's list was getting the teachings so that he may be free. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> he was willing to walk that far. I mean, I don't know about you, but there are certainly lots and lots of moments in my life where it feels like a crisis, right? I'm not sure what to do or which way to go or there's a lot of doubt in the mind and faith is minimal and then there's like a recentering and faith is stronger and there's a little more capacity and um, confidence and courage to make it through. But not as I'm walking 300 miles over 12,000 feet and imagining that it's very mountainous in Asia and so it's not like a smooth terrain <laughs> where he didn't encounter animals or snakes or any other things that are 
possible encounters, possible threats, threats to his life, bodily injuries, body pain, whatever the case. So when he got to the monastery, the Buddha wasn't there. (laughs) He was actually out on alms rounds getting his food for the day. And so Bahia said, I'll I'll go find him. So he went out and he found the Buddha and he said, please give me the teachings in brief. (laughs) And the Buddha said, not now Bahia, it's not time doing alms rounds. And then Bahia asked the second time, but this time with a plea, he said, please teach me the Dharma. We don't know how long we will live. Uh, right? So that there again is that, that faith, like this is so important. The teachings are so important. I don't know how long I live and I don't want to waste time. And again the Buddha said, not now Bahia, it's not time. And then this is a pattern in the suttas that somebody asked three times for the teachings and the Buddha says yes. So, but he asked one more time, the magic third time. And this time the Buddha gave him the teachings in brief. And the result was that, the, was that Bahia was fully enlightened. Just on hearing the teachings in brief. And so I'm going to just read you the, what the Buddha said to Bahia. So brace yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Then, Bahia, you should train yourself thus. In reference to the seen, there will only be the seen. In reference to the heard, only the heard. In reference to the sensed, only the sensed. In reference to the cognized, only the cognized. This is how you should train yourself. When for for you there will only be the seen in reference to the seen, only the heard in reference to the heard, only the sensed in reference to the sensed, only the cognized in reference to the cognized, then, Bahia, there is no you in connection with that. When there is no you with that, there is no you there. When there is no you there, you are neither here nor yonder nor between the two. This, just this, is the end of stress. The teachings in brief. So what the heck does this point to? In brief, (laughs) this points to the teaching on emptiness, that in any moment, there are only six categories of experience to be known. There is the seen, what is seen through the eyes, the five senses, what is seen through the eyes, the heard, what is heard through the ears, the sensed, what is sensed through the body, what's taste in the mouth. Is that five? Smell, thank you, (laughs) what's smelled. And then the activity of the mind, what's cognized, right? Or the relationship to those senses, right? How the mind makes sense of experience in this moment. And when there's this noticing of, when there's this understanding in the mind like, oh, wow, this is just sound in the ears, this isn't, so personal, it's not like a sound that's out to get me, or, you know, like the hum of the the blower. It's not like meant to be irritating. It's actually just sound that's coming in through the ears, and the mind is actually laying her story on top about it. 
like this is irritating to me, right? But when there's this deeper understanding of, oh, it's just sound, it's actually just sound, it's coming in through the ears, the mind is making sense of it, then there's no, there's not really anything personal there. There is no you. There is no you in connection with that. There is no you there. So it's a teaching in bare attention. Awareness knows the senses, but isn't confused by the senses. But in this short, this brief teaching, it's, the Buddha also points to how it's a training. The Buddha says, you should train yourself thus. In reference to the seen, there will only be the seen. In reference to the heard, only the heard. In reference to the sensed, only the sensed. He didn't say it's a destination to arrive at. One moment you're going to get there and then, you know, poof. But it's a training. It's a reminding. It's a, re- a remembering to be aware in every moment. And sometimes that training will, be, will feel like it's really specific. You know, like I notice this in my own practice, like, oh, there are those moments when the scene is just the scene, or the herd is just the herd. And then there are those moments when it's just noticing of story again and again and again. This is hard for me. This body is painful for me, right? It's just again and again and again. So it doesn't mean that this training doesn't mean that we have to be on that ultimate level all the time. It just means that we have to be where we're at. Right? and allow awareness to just continue to grow in strength. And it's also not a linear projection. Right? I've noticed this in my own practice. I remember one of, the, maybe the, one of the first short retreats I was on, a couple of days, three days maybe, I think, and there was this moment sitting in the hall where there was just a lot of stability in the mind. There's just noticing the breeze coming through the windows, and the body was there. There's just so much tranquility that, in, in a way, I'd never experienced before. And I still remember that moment as uh, really significant in practice. Now, this is like more than 15 years later that the mind still goes like, oh, yeah, that was tranquility. Like a special moment where, not really a special moment, but a moment where the mind really knew this experience and really, really grokked what it was like to be tranquil and calm, peaceful, just accepting things as they were. But it's not like that all the time, right? And it's not like that most of the time, actually. Even with a lot of practice, even with a lot of retreat experience. So it's a training. And it's also a training on um, understanding and respecting the seeds of greed, anger, greed, hatred, and delusion that are in the mind stream. Because I've also seen this where there could be a lot of intention like, oh, there's a lot of understanding in the mind right now. There's an understanding that this body is impermanent. It is always changing. There are no guarantees. There's like a deep understanding, and then the next moment, there's a sensation in the body, some pain, and there's all this fear, like all this what if, right? So that it's like those, those habits to freak out or get confused by 
what is sensed in the body and what is known, the understanding in the mind. There's like this tendency to be confused by it that may just be around the corner. But the good news is that lurking on the other side of that is often a, often a deepening of faith. This is what I've seen in my practice. Like there are these, have been these moments where the intensity of doubt or fear has been so strong. But when there's uh, an ability to practice with it, right on the other side of it, there's this confidence like, oh, yeah, so that is possible, right? It is actually possible to know fear like this, to stick my head right in the mouth of fear, as one of my colleagues said, to stick my head right in the mouth of fear and, not, and be able to work with it, right? However that is. In the meditation, I was pointing to how sometimes the story, the defilement or the, the difficulty, like the fear or the aversion or the resistance to being here, to connecting with this moment, is intense. And so it might not be able to keep it in the foreground, right? Or there might be some intense body pain or um, something that the mind is working with, right? A story in the mind, a, a memory, or uh, maybe a difficulty in your life that the mind is really kind of fixated on chewing on. And so sometimes it's, it's uh, interesting to see if the mind can allow that to be there but not be the focus, right? To go like, oh, sweetie, can this, can this be okay that this is here, this um, whatever this is, the story in the mind, this thing that the mind is chewing on, this intense sensation in the body, whatever it is, can this just be here in the background? Are there other experiences that can also be known to sort of make it a little more possible to meet this as it is. So just lots of ways to work with difficulty that point to the training that, or that represent the training that the Buddha was pointing to. So in understanding this teaching, the Buddha also says that, the Buddha also points to the result of training. Then, Bahia, there is no, uh, there is no connection, there is no you in connection with that. When there is no you in connection with that, there is no you there. When there is no you there, you are neither here nor yonder nor between the two. This, just this, is the end of suffering, right? When things are, when there's a little loosening of that personalization is where the relief, is where the deepest freedom comes from. That sense that there's not, it really isn't specific to me, that this is just nature. It's actually a result of something, and it couldn't be anything other than this. Right? Gabe and I helped facilitate an anti-racism workshop yesterday for many of the leaders here at Common Ground. And it was just so interesting that just to show up in that role and be willing to learn something and to kind of see that, oh, like we're all just making sense of our lives in the ways that we are. And our experience, all of our formative experience, informs this current moment. Like with every moment, every moment that is met, all of the previous moments are also here. Right? They also influence this moment. So there's such variety in the human experience, such variety. 
And even that, knowing that, there's freedom in that, right? Like, oh, it's not really that personal. Look at all of these varied human experiences that result in this. It's like this. It couldn't be any way, it couldn't be anything other than this. That doesn't mean we do nothing about this. But it just means that we understand that a little bit more fully. And when there's that understanding, there's like this deeper compassion that is available that wants, and compassion wants to move. Often the statues of Kuan Yin, the embodiment of compassion, are uh, she has one leg up, which sort of represents that she's ready to move. Like compassion wants to express itself. So in any of the work that we're doing, when there's like this deeper understanding that reveals, can often reveal compassion. It's like what was happening yesterday in the room, like, oh, look at all these varied human experiences. Well, does this call for, does, does this, is this a calling to, me be, to be met with resistance? Like, no, I don't want there to be so many varied human experiences that are messy like this. Like, that won't work. So what is, <laughs> we know that won't work. So what's the, what options are there? Well, in, that, in those moments, like, the heart just naturally goes like, oh, I care about this. I want to do something about it. What can I do? How can I use my life up in service of something that will be of benefit? Like, what are our gifts to share with humanity? So in this way, that setting that intention to be of service or be of use or allow my life to be an expression of something beautiful, something um, support, is really useful. So we're using, we're not misunderstanding that the cognized is just the cognized, but we're also using the thinking mind in service of our of living healthy lives together, collectively. So setting intentions in the mind is just using the thinking mind, right? So we don't have to demonize the mind that thinks. <clears throat> Meditation practice isn't about getting, ready, getting rid of thinking. It's about acknowledging that the mind does this, and will do this, and sometimes there's more thinking, and sometimes there's less thinking. And, sometimes, and there's thinking that leads to freedom, and there's thinking that leads to in the opposite direction of freedom. And so we want to know that. We want to understand that and feel that. Right? So when there's thinking that's not leading in that direction, the mind will naturally want to not do that if we're paying attention. And when there's thinking like setting intentions and um, considering how we might use our life up in our collective best interest, that might support a deepening of understanding and some faith that will lead to good things, right? So Bahia had some intention. He must have had some intention, right? It wasn't just a selfish motivation. Like, maybe I'm enlightened. Maybe the teachings are for me, too. But there was some deep spiritual aspiration there, some deep intention that was, you know, thought of, thought of. And that helped him propel his journey, right? That helped him move forward over those 12,000 
elevation change, you know, 12,000 feet of elevation and 300 miles again and again and again. So these things give me hope, especially in moments when I am feeling discouraged or um, hopeless, just remembering that human beings have done amazing things, right? And so what is it, what is it that supports human beings to do those amazing things? And like I was saying, that the that awakening is not a linear process. It's often like this. And it's not, as one of my teachers said, it's not like a, a moment where you just blast through, <laughs> like in one moment. It's, off, it's gradual, right? And the Buddha used this example of a, a rope, a ship. Um, the Buddha talks about a ship that has been pulled up onto land for the winter and the rigging on that ship, the ropes on that ship are attacked by the sun and the sand and the wind and the water and the rain and they get soggy and dry out and slowly over time those ropes rot. Those ropes rot. And he compares that gradual rotting away of the rope to the way that the fetters or the um, seeds of greed, anger and delusion are rot away in the mind. It's just a gradual thing. And so every moment of waking up to Every moment of being awake in our lives is in support of that, that rotting away. Right? So it's not like this moment, even if this, it's not like this moment is not enough. This moment is enough. Even if the next moment there's an upwelling of anger, right? Even if in the next moment, if this moment of calm is followed by a moment of intense fear, <laughs> There's, it's still in service of awakening because it's that slow rotting away, right? And it doesn't, the mind doesn't need all pleasantness. Anything is up for grabs. Any, the awareness doesn't have any preferences. Eyes open, eyes closed, very subtle body sensation, interpersonal experience, moving throughout our lives, working, taking care of children, whatever we're doing. If there's a, awareness can follow along, then we're on the path. Yeah. I think I'd like to stop talking and just have a conversation. <laughs> There's about 10 minutes left. Love to hear from some of you if this has inspired any thoughts or Reflections, or if you have questions, you can ask those too. Say your name so we get to know. Uh, Andy, I was just thinking what in my life I would do that, like walk that far for. Um, and there's not much, but I would for my kids, for my daughter. And, um, so it just helped me kind of see, like, I don't have to walk that far to spend time with her. And so um, just, like, to appreciate what a value is close by. Yeah. Yeah. One of the teachers here, Kyoko Katayama, had a, gave a talk a long time ago. Um, 
after her husband had passed away. And she committed to live fully to see like what would happen if she decided to reset her intention to be fully alive in her life every day for the next year. So she gave a talk about that, which is really like I think what you're pointing to, that we have this life. What are we going to do with it now? How can we fully appreciate our life right now? My name's Greg. Uh, listening to you talking about what meditation is, what meditation isn't, um, the idea that it's not the denial of thinking, it's really just becoming aware of what I'm thinking right now without getting caught up in it. And what also occurred to me is that at that moment, it's good to become aware of what intentions am, are behind those thoughts, or what intentions do I want to be practicing right now. Just, mm -hmm. That's what occurred to me. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, sometimes like awareness will shift and change over time. Different conditions will support awareness that is like this, and at when the conditions change, so does awareness, right? So it was when I was on retreat, I was sort of noticing that sometimes it was possible to really stay out of the content of the thoughts and just notice thinking that's happening. And sometimes the mind was really like in the psychological awareness of the thoughts, right? And that was, that's okay. So sometimes one is useful in our, clearly in our daily life, having some psychological awareness of what is moving is really important. And sometimes, you know, that kind of um, pointing to the experience of emptiness or knowing th that understanding of emptiness, that thinking is just happening, is also really good. So we can, sh awareness can shift as the conditions shift. We just have to remember to recognize. Jensi <coughs> Lai. I'm Zinzi Lay. Um, I guess I wanted to ask you, because um, there are times where you can actually um, kind of be aware of the senses and making sense and actually get to that kind of practice to a certain extent. But then when you deal with greed and delusion come up, they kind of sweep in and they're in your body. And so how do you... I'm tr I guess I'm trying to say, how do you work with w when you're in delusion and you're in your body, and therefore you can't be, you can't practice mindfulness? So, what are some ways in which you could break out? I don't even know if you break out or if you're just with the experience. So, I'm just trying to figure out how do you do that. So, you know, whether it's anger, whether it's loneliness, whether it's heartbreak, how do you deal with that set of emotions, and then? kind of get back to this more mindfulness of the senses mm -hmm. and, and that kind of a knowing. Yeah. I mean, and just in your question, it sounds like there's already awareness because there's awareness of a body-centered experience, right? And there's nothing actually wrong with that. That's enough. So if awareness knows that, awareness can just stay with that for as long as it, as it can. And then when, you know, there's a another experience to be known, then awareness just knows that. So it's not, you know, in the way I've been practicing, it's not so directive. It's really, in, it's really um, inclusive. 
of everything. And often the, the body is a great tool. I've used, I mean, the, great, the body is a great tool. Sometimes the body will uh, show me something that's moving in the mind first. So I'll know, like, oh, this, is, this feels like anxiety. And then before I know it, then there's some mental kind of feeling and often some thoughts. But often that arises in the body first for me. Yeah. My name is Kelly. Um, sometimes the, the, you know, when I'm sitting or just going through daily life, the mind is absorbed in something really exciting and juicy, like make you want to get up and do it. Or picturing how great it is if you if you can accomplish something like that, um, is that you know uh, is that a healthy way of thinking about it, or is there some perspective you can comment on when you're just trying to meet the condition as is, but your mind is chasing something, even if it's exciting and juicy, it's not suffering per se. Is that still something we need to be aware of? How do you see that? Um, is that feeling alive or is it not? <laughs> Thanks. It sounds like there is awareness of that, right? That when the mind is chasing something juicy, how does that? How is that for you? I mean, that's you might know already, but that's something to know. Like when the mind is chasing, how does that feel? When the mind has captured what it's chasing, how does that feel? Right. So notice if there's. Um, a flavor of uh, if there's some pain, some stress in that chasing. And if there is, then the mind, you know, over time, if there's a lot of awareness, the mind will, the habits will naturally, wisdom will do its job, and the habits, our habits will change because they actually don't make sense, right? So, like, when the mind, when this expression is full of anger, right? At some point, anger burns itself out, because if, especially if there's awareness of it, because it doesn't feel good, right? It may feel, there may be, in the beginning, especially, like a self-entitlement, like I want to be angry because it's, this situation is deserving of my anger, something like that. But eventually, it, doesn't make, it just doesn't make sense, and so anger is like, oh. What a relief, you know. But that, like, happens as wisdom follows along with awareness. But the other thing is that one of the greatest teachings, I think, uh, that I've... One of the... Yeah, the Sayadaw Utejaniya. He, he says again and again and again, like, the meditating mind is a balanced mind. A mind... Keep the mind in balance. Keep the mind balanced. So what is it that balances this mind, mm. this body experience? What is it? So if there's a lot of um, stress in the mind, what will support a little more ease, right? So if there's a lot of chasing in the mind, and that has a, uh, a feeling that doesn't feel good, right? if that doesn't feel good, then what supports bringing the mind back into some balance? And sometimes that is noticing something that's pleasant in our lives or being with experience that, is, that feels good, right? Like really thoroughly enjoying a piece of chocolate is maybe good medicine 
at the right time, right? Or taking a walk and feeling the sun or spending some time, like some joyful time with your children or whatever. It's not that there's anything wrong with these experiences in our life that are really, that are pleasant, right? Because they do help rebalance the mind. That's helpful. Hi, um, I'm John, and I want to thank you for your talk today. You hit on a lot of things that were important to me. Um, I guess my question is, um, I, I liked your um, image of when a really strong emotion uh, is there, you kind of put your head into its mouth, right, into the mouth of anger or fear, whatever it is. Um, and that's something I've been trying to practice but sometimes it's so strong that it starts actually clamping down a bit. <laughs> and so what I've been doing, and I'm, this is my question, is I'll say, okay, well, I just have to back off from this. And I'll do something deliberately um, unmindful. <laughs> like, okay, there's this four-part TV series I'm just going to watch in order. <laughs> But I know that I'm doing that because I can't be there anymore. And then I can come back to it and, uh, and kind of re refreshed a little bit, more energy to kind of just feel it. And I guess I'm just questioning, you know, what do you think about that sort of <laughs> tactic? Let me just add, Shelley, because I find this an interesting question, but I also found Joseph Goldstein's answer to a very similar question quite interesting. And that's, he doesn't watch TV, but he reads John Sanford <laughs> mystery novels, so. <laughs> so I really, I think what I would have to say points back to the answer, the response I gave Kelly. It's just the importance of keeping the mind balanced. So sometimes it can, it's, it's worth the, uh, the strength of the defilement or the strength of the fear is stronger than the strength of awareness. And so it's not possible to be with that without being absorbed into it, without becoming it, right? It like takes us over. So then we have to do something to refresh the awareness, to strengthen awareness and allow, we don't even have to direct the attention back there, but the attention that will naturally arise again, then we'll get another shot at it, right? Mm -hmm. So that kind of moving in and out of um, experience with the intention of keeping the mind in balance is really, is really used, it's really skillful. Yeah. And if you choose to watch TV <laughs> <laughs> as a way of balancing the mind, then see if you can be aware of the mind that's in process of rebalancing while watching TV. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm Gary, um, and I like it when the uh, when the Buddha says there is no you, mm -hmm. and. Um, but I kind of struggle a little bit when I'm meditating because I, I feel like that's the place I want to be. And I struggle with being aware and trying to be in this in-between 
place where, you know, my, my mind's not rambling and my body I've already, you know, uh, recognized, uh, the things going on in my body and I've recognized the things going on in my mind, but I don't want to be either of them. I just want to be in between and la la land or whatever. <laughs> so I don't have to think. So but it's, I struggle with being aware, you know, and being, not thinking anything. So it's, so you could, that sounds like a rich place to explore. <laughs> and lots to get to know. You could get to know what it's like to not want, right? What's it like to just not want something? Or what's it like to want an experience that's not this? That's enough. If there's awareness of that, of those states, that's enough. Awareness is already at work. It doesn't need a special experience or a special moment, or a moment more special than this. As long as awareness is tracking what's happening, it's good enough. Yeah. And then the, the being with the wanting or the not wanting is like, that's it. That's the heart of what we're doing here, right? Wanting this, not wanting that, wanting my life to be different than this, not liking this. Like, this is the personality that's expressing itself and all of the um, seeds of greed, anger, and delusion that are showing up in moments. So the more of that that we can know is, is just really good. I'm Yvonne, uh, and I would uh, ask you to clarify something that you were saying at the beginning of the meditation. No. Uh, <laughs> when you were talking about uh, connecting with the body and if we're having trouble connecting with the body then see if we can connect from some more distance and uh, and I'm not sure what it means what you mean by connecting with the body is it simply do you simply mean being aware of the sensations that are occurring in your body mm-hmm. I mean that's that's one way to connect to the body just you can start with like we all have a different relationship to body Right? And it's, uh, our relationship to body is, in this moment, is built on our relationship to body in previous moments. And we have different, the body feels different in different moments. And the body experiences pain. And some of us have survived trauma. So there's just all of this um, holding of patterns and habits and experience in the body. So getting close to the body is not always easy for everyone, right? So wherever you are, you can just begin there. And for some people, it might just be having a general sense of the body. Like, what's it like to have a body? What is that like now? Right? It could be feeling the sensations in the body, if that's easy. Or it could be other things. It could be not wanting to have a body, not liking this body. right? It could be being afraid of getting close to the body. So it depends on what happens for you when you sit down with the intention to connect with the body. It's all valid practice, whatever it is. And in the body, there are lots of sensations, vibrations, energy, um, tingling, pulsating, vibrating, uh, sharpness, dullness. So there's so much to get interested in. And anything that the mind, like with more and more training with the body, the mind will get, the heart will get interested in the variety of experiences that are available within the body. 
But it just starts with that simple intention to connect and to know what it's like to have a body and then just see what happens. So that intention like, okay, I'm just going to see if I can know the body. What's it like to have a body? Oh, I feel my knees. What's that like? That's unpleasant. All right. Oh, now I'm not even feeling my knees. Okay. Where is that unpleasantness? Is it in the mind? What happened to it? Where did it go? Right? So there's just like tracking, following along, um, remembering to recognize the body in each moment, going back to the body. And over time, there, there will be um, a, the awareness will get used to being with the body and being willing to accept that the body is changing and shifting in every moment, too. Last Hi, yeah. I'm Rachel. Hey, Rachel. Um, so you're the story that you told of the this person traveling 300 miles at an elevation of 12,000 feet yeah. um, as uh, an opportunity to learn or as to, to seek after something. Um, in, I'm currently in a place where this has kind of been instead of uh, seeking after something intentionally, it's kind of, I'm immersed in something that has been forced on me instead. Um, and so it's been in- interesting to, as I listen, to think of this experience as an opportunity instead of um, a- as a journey to maybe freedom or more enlightenment um, instead of like a, just a, um, something that I'm intentionally seeking after, right? Um, initially. And so that was, uh, thank you for allowing me to have those thoughts. Um, and you've kind of touched on this a little bit, but I've been finding that in this, um, I sort of self-soothe with distractions because I'm afraid to feel these intense feelings. Um, and I've been having a hard time balancing that. You know, how much do I distract um, or go seek after, you know, like a television show or um, a movie or something? And how much do I just sit and feel these very, very intense feelings? Yeah, I bet that's relevant to everybody. One thing that's been useful to me is reminding myself of my intention to be awake. And so centering awareness and balance as the kind of the primary thing, and then allowing my activities to flow from that. So like if my intention is awareness, and what I'm trying to do is not, or this activity that I've chosen isn't the activity that is supporting awareness right now, what is my choice then? And, and if I'm centering awareness, then often I can, you know, not all the time, but sometimes we'll choose to not do that activity, right? And it doesn't mean that, like I said, that you shouldn't do things that are pleasant because those, they can be really useful balancing for the mind. So going to see a movie is not a bad thing to do in the right, at the right time when it's skillful, right? And also noticing when we're always chasing, we're always avoiding, right? that's a different thing. But if there's, if there's an avoidance of a difficult feeling, that then, you know, that avoiding, if there's enough awareness to meet the avoiding, that has a sense, that has a felt sense also. 
So what's it like to avoid? Oh, it's like this. So really let that land too, because that will support a, tr uh, a change in habit energy with time. Thank you. Time for one more or no? Um, sure. Yeah, Robert. Oh, sorry, Robert. I'm over here. I've forgotten my, <coughs> excuse me, Robert, I've forgotten my question. Um, well, I was reflecting on the comments you've made and, and the, the other people have asked questions already. And uh, <coughs> one of the things that helps me <coughs> in the midst of struggling with issues in my mind is busyness. And not just m mindless busyness, but mindful busyness. So there's an occasion, uh, for instance, the example is that um, I had to clean my apartment. Well, it is spotless, <laughs> totally spotless. And I was mindful in, in the process of doing all that. And um, that helps me escape the busyness or the negative mind. Yeah, that's really useful. Doing something physical is often really good balancing for the mind. Right? If the mind is caught up in a lot of thinking, doing something, my go-to things are dishes and laundry because they're repetitive and I can see results and it, it feels good. The warmth of the water, the warmth of the towels, it feels good. But doing something physical is often really smart. I know that you like dishes too, Robert. <laughs> yeah, I think we have to leave it here. Thanks, everybody. Great contributions today. Your silence and your talking. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org dot org slash donate.